There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's review of Hawkeye. Could you start my bow? You're kind of my favorite Avenger. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Never heard of them. Hosted by Arnie. I'm not a role model. I'm sorry, Kate. I'm not a role model to anyone. Jacob. You are so fond of him. He tells me you don't really know who he is. And Stuart. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but he is good. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And guru. Whoa! Language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today, we're taking aim at Hawkeye. Starring Jeremy Renner, Haley Steinfeld, Tony Dalton, Fra Fee, Florence Pugh, Vincent D'Onofrio, special appearance by Linda Cardellini, and Vera Farmiga, directed by Rise Thomas and Burton Birdie. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and I can do this all day. I think we do. <laughs> it's Stuart. Bro. This is Jacob, bro. <laughs> hey, bro. Let's do this podcast, bro. What was the movie company called? Like Trust a Bro. Trust a Bro. Trust a Bro movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we are back not discussing a TV series, discussing a mini series that was done for Disney Plus Hawkeye. Our fourth encounter with Disney Plus Productions. And everyone's favorite Avenger, right? Well, this is what they're good at. It was not distressing me at this point that we had a whole four hours devoted to Hawkeye because I didn't care any more about him than Wanda and Vision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, and all those shows turned out pretty good. They have a talent of finding the backstory you didn't think you cared about on these Disney Plus shows. So, all right, you're going to make me try to care about Hawkeye? Go for it. And Jeremy Renner did a good job of making me care about Hawkeye in the movies. In the documentary about this series, he talked about how he had a hard time getting a hold of the character because he did a cameo in Thor and then he was ready to dig into the character in Avengers and oop, you're mind controlled. You're now just Loki's minion. You don't really have a character. And I really didn't like him during those films, but by the time you got around to Age of Ultron and Civil War and Endgame, he had this sardonic sense of humor that I think Renner really just imbued the character with that did make him low-key favorite. 
His sense of humor? Really? You thought he was funny? I don't, I don't remember anything he did that was funny. I thought the way they endeared him was they gave him the family. They gave him the farm. They showed that he was one of us. They did, but there was also that moment in Age of Ultron where, in the middle of the climactic battle, they spent like 45 seconds on Hawkeye aiming at Quicksilver like, I could do it, nobody would know, I could take him out. There's in Civil War, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of time in Civil War, but when he does, you know, what are you doing here? Disappointing my kids. Or later on, we're still friends, right? Depends how hard you hit me. Every time you went to Hawkeye, there was a smirk and a one-liner coming from him, but they just didn't go to Hawkeye that often. This is their makeup. This is their make-do. This is them saying, well, we should have cared. And what's interesting is that this is heavily based on a run by Matt Fraction, who's listed here as a consulting producer, and artist David Aja, who was very upset. He's like, don't give me credit, give me money for using, like, the look at this with the credits is straight from that comic. But that was the premise of this Hawkeye run that this is heavily based on, is like, what is the most boring, ordinary Avenger who doesn't have any powers, he has a bow and arrow, like, what does he do on his day off when he's not saving the world? And I was surprised how closely this follows that run of comics, which one of my favorites, it takes a C-list character. Again, no one cares about the guy who dresses in purple and shoots a bow and arrow. And it created a great story about him and really made you care about him. This was going to be a movie. When they were doing Endgame, there was talk amongst Feige and his people about, okay, we're getting the Black Widow movie. We need to do the Hawkeye movie. And they were sitting around trying to decide what would a Hawkeye movie be? And they realized the character was just so unexplored and there was so much to do that they're like, okay, rather than shave it down, let's see if Runner would be up for a Disney Plus TV series. And so they moved him over here. And they're also building up that next generation too. Like that was the mission of Black Widow. This one, again, it feels like we're setting up the new Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, who again, in that Hawkeye lore in Marvel Comics, she's heavily involved. Like she's a member of the Young Avengers originally. And then she actually yeah, teams up with him and they have their adventures. And now she's kind of out on her own. But it does feel like, yeah, we got to get that younger cast that have cheaper contracts that are going to come back that we can put in the next movie. So this was a comic book story. This was Hawkeye has his own comic book series. He's that popular? No, he's not that, that popular. It lasted about 23 issues, but award winning. It won the Eisner, which is like the Academy Awards for comic books for Pizza Is My Business, a comic told from the perspective of a one-eyed pizza dog. And like you see word balloons and they're all blurred out except like you or a word a dog would like recognize. And then you'd see, like, thought bubbles from the dog's perspective. Great comic. I think it's sadly overlooked because, you know, it's Hawkeye, but it's out there. You can still get it. I encourage everyone to read it. Okay. You're explaining some of the creative choices here. I had no idea why we had that one-eyed dog in this show. Yeah, with Russian track bros and all that, I feel like Matt Fraction, when you read his stuff, kind of reminds me of Tarantino, but it feels like his references are more from 80s action films, but kind of put in that 70s aesthetic, is how I would describe a lot of his stories, even when he works for Marvel. And so, yeah, I was surprised to see that make its way into a Disney show. Yeah, that's a lot of filtering. If you're telling me that this is 70s dark, yeah, it is premiering on a family-friendly network. And yeah, I think they tried to strike that balance. And who are they? It's worth pointing out the executive producers of this are people that have been with Marvel for a long time. Trin Tran has come up with Captain America. I think she worked as an associate producer on the first movie, and each one successively after, she got more power. 
She was actually executive producer on Endgame, and I think she was the one that sort of had the light bulb that this would work for Disney+. Plus. She was the one in all of the interviews and the behind-the-scenes stuff. As well as Rise Thomas, who is coming from comedy. I guess they felt like this was going to be more lighthearted. It's a Christmas movie, after all. I mean, it's Lethal Weapon. It's a buddy kind of cop comedy during Christmas. Yeah, he comes from Saturday Night Live, Documentary Now, skits, funny stuff. So you should expect that here. It feels a little weird to be reviewing Christmas movies in April, but I don't know. Did this have much impact? Arnie, you're the one that usually is watching these when they debut week after week. You're usually the one to report back. Did you watch Hawkeye in its initial November-December run? I did. I have to say, for no real reason, wasn't in much of a Christmas spirit in 2021, but Hawkeye put me there. You know, usually I'll watch (laughs) Die Hard or something like that, but... Hawkeye being Christmas-themed and starting around Thanksgiving, November 21st, and running through December 22nd, my holiday celebration was watching this, and I looked forward to it every week, and of course talked about it with my friends every week, and I didn't pay much attention to the ratings until we were about to do this podcast. This is the least viewed Marvel series or Star Wars series in Disney Plus history. Oh, no. It's got to be because of when it came out. People on vacation who's thinking about Christmas. Because it was a shock to me. I was not expecting to watch a Christmas movie for this week's review. Like, I'm like, oh, this must have been a November, December thing. I really wanted to watch this, but I'm like, I got to watch it anyway for now playing, so I put it off. But it made enough waves that some things were spoiled for me going into this. I had heard about some of the, not cameos, but people that are coming back to this film, the bigger roles and all that. So it made enough waves out there in my algorithm of of social networking. Yeah, one of the big revealed characters here was revealed the same week No Way Home was released and had a tie-in. Yeah, no one's thinking about Hawkeye when Spider-Man's out. Yeah, in fact, I remember hearing rumors that Kingpin was in No Way Home. You got your rumors crossed. Right, yeah. So (laughs) why don't we just go ahead and spoil that plot. Arnie, give it to us, and we'll talk about all six episodes of this miniseries. Kate Bishop, played by Haley Steinfeld, was just 10 years old when she saw aliens invade New York City, as depicted in the 2012 Avengers movie. Her parents' penthouse at 41st and Park gave her a front-row seat for the destruction and the combat between the Avengers and the alien Chitauri. She saw the Avenger Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, played by Jeremy Renner, leap from a rooftop while firing his arrows to save the city. He immediately became her idol. Now, 22 years old, Kate is a master archer, fencer, and she knows judo, but the rich college student is more a vandal and burden than a hero. Her biggest nemesis is her mother's new fiancé, Jack, played by Tony Dalton. That Kate's mother, Eleanor, played by Vera Farmiga, was getting married was a shock to Kate. She doesn't trust her mother's swarthy suitor. Following Jack at a party, Kate witnesses a black market auction selling items recovered from the rubble of the Avengers compound. The auction is interrupted by the criminal tracksuit mafia storming the building to steal a watch that was up for auction. Seizing her time to be a hero, Kate dons a costume from the auction, the Ronin costume worn by Hawkeye during the blip. In that costume, Kate fights off the criminal gang. This brings a lot of attention from the criminal underworld and the media that the mysterious, murderous Ronin is back. That's especially news to Clint, who's in New York with his kids for a Christmas showing of Steve Rogers' The Musical. When Clint sees his old costume on the news, he sends his kids home to track down whoever's wearing it. 
He's shocked that it's just a 22-year-old girl who's now being hunted by the tracksuit mafia. The gang's boss, Maya Lopez, a deaf woman also known in the comics as Echo, played by Alakwa Cox, is obsessed with killing Ronan. Years ago, Ronan raided Maya's criminal operation, killing everyone there, including Maya's father. Maya took the watch from the auction to try and flush out the Ronin. Maya's second-in-command, Kazi, tries to steer Maya away from her vengeful quest, but to no avail. Barton teams up with Kate to recover his suit, his sword, and the watch stolen by the tracksuit mafia. The watch was owned by Clint's wife, Laura, played by Linda Cardellini, and would reveal her status as Agent 19 of S.H.I.E.L.D. Things get more complicated when a Black Widow assassin comes to New York, hired to kill Clint. Yelena Belova, Natasha Romanoff's sister, played by Florence Pugh, is more than happy to take money to kill the man she blames for her sister's death. It turns out that Yelena was hired by Kate's mother, Eleanor. Eleanor is a crime sub-boss in the employ of the kingpin Wilson Fisk, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, reprising his Netflix role. As Kate is starting to uncover Eleanor's secrets, the Elder Bishop wants out. But with the kingpin, there is no out, and he plans to coerce or kill Eleanor. Kingpin's day gets worse when he's confronted by another of his lieutenants, Maya. Clint revealed himself to Maya and let her know he was tipped off about her father's location. Kingpin and Kazi set up Maya's father to be killed. Kingpin raised Maya, calling himself her uncle. But now that she knows Kingpin arranged her father's murder, she wants vengeance. It's doubly bad as Maya was in love with Kazi, but he was the one who tipped Ronan off. This all comes to a head on Christmas Eve in Rockefeller Plaza. There, Kate and Hawkeye use their trick arrows to disarm or capture the entire tracksuit mafia. Kingpin goes to pummel Eleanor, but Kate ignites all of Hawkeye's trick arrows at once, which finally overpowers the seemingly invincible mob boss. Maya and Kazi face off, with Maya reluctantly killing her second-in-command, and then riding her motorcycle off into her spin-off show. What? Yeah. No way. Cancelled. Yeah, there's gonna be an Echo series. No. There yeah. cannot be. With her? Yeah, they totally set it up. Jeez. I got theories why, but yeah. Awful. Not recommend. Just gonna go ahead and say, <laughs> if she's in this for any amount of time... <laughs> the star, yes. <laughs> no. Yelena and Clint face off, and Clint finally convinces Yelena that he cared about Natasha and wasn't responsible for her death. Yelena overcomes her pain, and Clint overcomes his feelings of guilt for Natasha's death. Kate turns in her mother to the cops for her criminal acts, which include murder, and Clint takes Kate and Kate's one-eyed dog, Lucky, back to his farm to meet his family and spend Christmas with them. Clint's gift to his wife is the watch he retrieved that keeps her identity a secret as credits roll. You didn't even talk about the LARPers. They get no credit. I wish I could have made that plot summary shorter. This is a full cast, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of names going around, like grills and bombshell. I got a lot of questions for you, Jacob. <laughs> we got time for it. We start with episode one, Never Meet Your Heroes. And even though it, it is Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner's show, I do feel like this episode specifically is about letting us meet Kate Bishop. We'll get a prologue here to establish how she loses one father figure and gains another during the Battle of New York. And as a work of adaptation, look, the MCU now has its own history that has departed from, like, the comics. So at times, they're going to have to, like, really stretch to... And I think the MCU has done a good job at that. And now that we have this whole Battle of New York from the first Avengers movie instead of Kate, 
you know, she was saved by Hawkeye in the comics, and that's why she idolizes him and wants to be just like him. But I, I thought it's really, it's kind of sick as I got into the MCU. It's like, okay, another superhero film we're doing. I do really like what they do in the background, how they've connected it. Like, there is a whole timeline here. Like, I'm thinking back, like, when did this take place and that? So, yeah, to revisit that Battle of New York from the human perspective was fun. Part of me thinks the MCU's just getting too big. There's so many characters in it now, and it is so intertwined. On the rewatch of Hawkeye, as they introduced Echo and Kingpin, and I think about how the ramifications of all that are, I was like, okay, it's getting to be as complicated, as dense, as the comic book universe itself. But in these opening scenes, the thing that shocked me is all I knew was Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld. So to see Vera Farmiga in these early scenes as her mother... (laughs) You know who the villain is, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm like, she's not just here to play the mother role unless her career has gone downhill faster than I noticed. So... If she's in here, she's obviously going to be the villain. Yeah, that we introduce Kate eavesdropping on her parents about money and how they're going to pay a debt. And the fact that that is not resolved when we jump to the present leads me to believe that, of course, at the very least, if she's not the villain, she's done something bad. And we should not forget that when we get distracted by a Chachari battle. I really tried to figure out where this apartment was that it had such a great view of the battle. Yeah, and how rich are the bishops? Like, that in downtown New York, that's got to cost a lot of money. That I thought they were in a house at first until we cut away and I realized we're in downtown New York. Yeah, later on, I think it's like episode five, they do locate this at 41st and Park. <laughs> it's a little on the nose, right? Like, the hole gets blown in the wall just after her real dad says, I'll always protect you. The wall explodes and the Chachari's coming at her and Hawkeye takes it out. And we don't ever see death in this series, but we do hear that, you know, like she asks where her dad is and mom won't answer. We cut to a funeral. Yeah, it's a trade-off. Like a 12-year-old girl is going to need a father figure. And now she's going to obsess with arrows because she saw Hawkeye take down that Chitari that would have killed her. Was I the only one that thought the dad was going to come back? Didn't see a body. Sure. We saw something get buried. He could have been pulp. So the building could have fallen on him. Who knows? Like, I kept waiting for that to actually come back. Maybe in another series. Like, something's got to happen with her dad. I never thought that, but I think this is a great way of taking Hawkeye's one moment in the Avengers to be heroic. Everybody, this was the trailer shot of Hawkeye, slow-mo, jumping off a roof, firing that arrow, and really his only time to shine. And so for somebody to see that, I could see that being impressive. And really, if you're looking at your Avengers, somebody has to have Hawkeye as their favorite, but there needs to be a reason for it, that he was the one closest to her. She saw all the battles. I understand Hulk is somewhere in that fight, too. I remember reading that they did new Hulk CGI just for this battle, but I... Watched it twice. I didn't see Hulk. I I didn't see any Hulk. Except when we get on Broadway. (laughs) And so, yeah, we get a credit sequence that establishes she becomes obsessive about, well, not just bows and arrows, but all martial arts, fencing, gymnastics, anything that a human being could do that a superhero would find easy. She throws herself into so that when we jump to present day and she's 22 years old, she can climb Stain Tower and take out a clock. 
They say there's nothing more important than your introduction of a character. Here, we've got our new superhero who they're setting up to continue into the future. And seeing her with that bow on her back, scaling that building, it is a cool way to enter. And the fact that she's doing this as, what, a sorority prank or something like this? She's just trying to ring a bell with her archer friends, Greer. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, she's... If these buildings are dedicated to villains from Iron Man 1, who cares if they get knocked down? <laughs> Plus, her mom's filled with cash. She can pay for it. Oh, that stained tower. Obadiah, I didn't catch that. Yeah. I did not either. I can't believe Stuart's the one who's calling that out. Yeah, I thought this is not my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's convenient that her archery suit is purple because, you know, that's Hawkeye's color from the comics, but we need to introduce it there somehow. But it is kind of a superhero-y outfit that she wears there, you know, the tight jumpsuit coat type thing with the colors. It's something that you could just put somebody in to a movie with and have that be an action figure. I'd buy that, like, that's probably what they wear in the Olympics when they do archery. I don't really watch archery when I watch the Olympics, so I could be wrong, but it seems appropriate enough, and I don't think we've had purple Hawkeye in the MCU, have we? He's always just wearing, like, black. He's like a military guy. Up till now. It becomes a running joke of the series that he's going to have to put on the outfit. Yeah. But that tower comes down. I'm not quite sure it's her fault. She did nothing to bring down the tower. She rang a bell. That tower had to have been pretty freaking ready to go. That arrow did not hit it so hard, did not ring the rung so hard that it would pull that thing out of its socket. Like, there's some faulty engineering going on already. But she's in trouble. She has to go home and her mom is canceling her credit cards. Rich girl trouble. Like, I'm going to turn off your credit cards. Ooh. Right. You're going to have to go to my charity fundraiser. While I pay how many hundreds of thousands to replace the clock tower? You think it's only six figures? I wouldn't be shocked if it was seven. I was being conservative. <laughs> yeah, it's probably in the millions. And this is where we, well, first of all, it's worth pointing out that her entire house has been repaired like if it, they'll fix the clock tower because that jachari shot up penthouse is looking pretty great right now well that's what insurance is for <laughs> <laughs> i don't know like do they cover chitari attacks in 2012 like when they didn't know that was a thing i'm not talking about the cost of it i'm saying would you <laughs> want to be in a building that had been shot full of laser holes that your husband father had been killed in <laughs> does loki attacking count as an act of god he is a god so i think so <laughs> It's literally an act of God. <laughs> yeah, I think that counts. Anyway, the point is, she's come home for Christmas. We're getting that vibe all throughout New York. And she's finding out that her mom has met someone to replace her dad. She doesn't like it at all. Jack Duquesne? I guess this should mean something to comic book people. Oh yeah, he is the swordsman. If you couldn't figure it out from <laughs> this series with all the swords everywhere, he is a... I think he started off as a villain, and now he's, like, some minor, 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 minor adventure, like... But are we setting... Like, we had Blade, and we had the Black Knight. Are we getting the MSCU, the Marvel Sword Cinematic Universe? Like, they're really obsessed with swords this new wave. I had no idea this was a character. <laughs> There's a swordman in the 616? Yeah, he just trained really hard, like, Olympic-level swordsman and gymnast, kind of like Kate Bishop. <laughs> Yeah, it's obvious that he has to be somebody. I didn't know whether whether it was villain or future hero or somewhere in between, but his skills are too good to just be 
an average fencer. Later, when they clear out the entryway and spar, yeah, he's got mad skills on that. Yeah, and I just want to call out Tony Dalton, who plays Jack here. If you've seen Better Call Saul, he's a villain on there who's a lot of fun. Like, I call him a villain because he may as well be twirling his mustache. He's just chewing up the scenery so much, kind of like he does in this series, too. Like, I could never read him because he is so over the top. I'm like, is he going to be a bad guy or is he just going to be like a red herring or what is he? Because, yeah, he goes so big with his performance. I like him here. He's actually got a lot of charisma and a lot of fun. He's smiling most of the time, too. You know, if he's a bad guy, and because our point-of-view character doesn't like him, we're inclined to believe he might be, he's going to be a fun bad guy. Oh, it's not just her opinion. Yeah, someone is marrying my mom, and I didn't even know about it. But then we have his uncle blowing in and saying he doesn't approve of the marriage, that he thinks that there's something wrong with the Bishop family. And we do too, because again, remember that opening scene, money troubles, something they did. Yeah, I believe him when he's accusing her of having an empire built on lies. Yeah, Armand, Jack's uncle. I thought he'd be a bigger character than he is, because here at the beginning, they are going to a charity event, and we're going to see a rivalry between Jack and his uncle. And I kind of, again, I'm trying to get my bearings. I don't know who the villain of this story is. I just know it's got a couple of Hawkeyes in it. So I'm wondering if it's going to be rival crime bosses there or what they're going to do as they're trying to one-up each other in an auction. Yeah, I was super excited to see this secret auction with stuff from, yeah, the rubbish of the Avengers building, because that series of Hawkeye, like, there is a whole storyline about a supervillain auction going after a VHS tape of Hawkeye doing something really bad, and, like, Kate Bishop has to get that tape, so I'm like, oh, they are really leaning in to this series, I'm ready to have some fun. The first thing that goes up for auction, though, I think it's a dinosaur head, is this where Nick Cage got his, was in this <laughs> underground auction? It looked like a Triceratops skull, but maybe that's Chachari. Yeah, he got a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> it could be one of those worm creatures skulls. I don't know. Oh, that's true. It could have been a Chitari skull. I thought it was a dinosaur skull, and knowing Nick Cage lost like $125 million on his, I thought they might be having a laugh. But yeah, most of the stuff is recovered from the Avengers compound, which... It's easy to forget in all the chaos of Endgame that that final battle in the rubble was in the rubble of the compound that got blown up by Thanos' ship from space. Yeah, I didn't remember that. Yeah, you're going to have to explain why this watch is so important. I, I thought we were going to get a much bigger reveal with this watch, because I understand why they want to get the Ronin suit. Like, that is the main gist of this whole series, is getting that Ronin suit and why that character needs to be dealt with. But this watch, like, I thought, oh, this has got, like, Stark technology in it. It's an arc reactor. Who knows? If you don't want people to know that you're an agent, don't inscribe that on jewelry <laughs> that you wear. <laughs> I don't even know how they take the number 19 and pin that to a specific person. Well, no, that's a thing. And this is yet another skewering of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, because... Agent 19 is Mockingbird, and Mockingbird Bobby Morse was in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series, played by Adrian Pilecki. So this is yet another saying, like with the Dark Home and WandaVision, hey, that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show doesn't matter. We're going to make other shows matter, but not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So if I sat through that series, I would know what the 19 meant right away. 
Or if you've read the comic books with Mockingbird, I guess. I knew Mockingbird. I didn't know she was Agent 19. I did have to look that up. And wasn't Sharon Carter Agent 13? Yes. I mean, I was more confused. When you say Ronin to me in the Marvel Universe, I think Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. That's right. There's two Ronins. You've got some memory of this MCU, Stuart, that surprised me. I had forgotten that. Well, here's the thing. I don't go back to watch the movie. I haven't seen Infinity War or Endgame. I guess it was Endgame again since theaters. I forgot that Jeremy Renner had that whole Japanese phase. That had completely left my mind. I thought he was in Japan. You, you say that Japanese phase. I thought he was like traveling the world. I guess he was just like hanging out in New York killing everyone. No, no. He was in Japan when Black Widow caught him. That's what I thought. There's the video call with Rhodey where Rhodey says Ronan was seen in Mexico. So, no, he's a global underworld killer. Okay. And my understanding was, like, this is how he was dealing with his grief. He lost his family, and so these people that were going to waste the life that they were given, he was going to kill. I thought it was really heavily implied in this that he was being directed by someone. He kept, like, every once in a while you'd say, like, it was the anger that motivated him, but I felt like, was he working for someone, or was he just totally on his own? Well, every assassin is hired, so I take it to mean that he probably had someone that called often, and we'll find out in this show, it's Kingpin. Yeah, he mentions an informant. So when this comes up for auction that there is a retractable sword and a ninja outfit, I don't know how many minutes it took me to realize. Eventually, I think it was the flashback. They eventually will cut to Renner in this suit in Japan. That was when I made the connection, because I wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah, and I know right away, I mean, I can't even count the number of times I've seen Endgame. <laughs> it's only three years old now. But... I never kind of figured he just packed it away at the compound, like Natasha took him there and he didn't have a change of clothes. He went in in full costume or something and it was just <laughs> sitting there. But this is when the tracksuit mafia comes in. And might I just say, in the entire MCU, I don't know that there's more fun villains than the tracksuit mafia. These guys are hysterical. Yeah, I, I think the success of that Hawkeye series had a lot to do with the tracksuit mafia. Like, everyone was blown away just with the bro. Like, they bro it up even more in that comic. But, yeah, just you would not expect to see that in a superhero film. Just this really broad, humorous take on Russian mafia guys. And so you guys like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is fun. You know, it's lighthearted versus Hydra. You know, if you're versus... Aliens, if you're going to have a more comedic series, this is a very fun way of having those kinds of bad guys. And I like that they're just called the tracksuit mafia, and they're going to point out that's a little on the nose as they're all wearing, like, sweatsuits. Okay, I guess, I don't know what I was prepared for, but this seemed like not the real thing. Like, I was like, okay, this is just going to be some little joke, and then we'll eventually get to the villains, but they pretty much are the villains. It's, this is just a lighthearted episode. We aren't going to really take what happens here in the six days before Christmas too seriously. It's funny, Stuart, because you're like, oh, this is going to be a one-note thing. Good. We can move past them. And I'm like, oh, please don't make them a one-note thing. Like, I love these guys. Like, I had the opposite reaction. Yeah, it's lighthearted. It is Christmas. So do I want something dark and heavy at Christmas? Do I mean, we can talk about how well the girl with the dragon tattoo <laughs> remake did because it came out at Christmas. But yeah, out of a Marvel Christmas series, this is fun. I want to have fun. The fact that they come in with 
They're in red tracksuits with green ski masks. I mean, it's screaming Christmas to me. They're like the Christmas bad guys. And, (laughs) you know, this is a long tradition of Marvel that I actually really enjoy is they put out silly one-shot Christmas comic books and... It could be Squirrel Girl versus Galactus and things, but it's all taking place at the holidays, or the thing who's Jewish is celebrating Hanukkah. And they're always more lighthearted comics, and I'm going with this vibe, because we haven't really talked about her. We've talked about Kate, but Haley Steinfeld. I really liked her in Bumblebee. She surprised me that she was so charming and charismatic in Bumblebee. And, you know, I'm starting to feel my age as there's this young generation of movie stars and music stars. They all seem to be these multi-hyphenates now. You're not just an actress. And I don't really know her, but again, if you want lighthearted, I really just like her vibe, her talking, the way she creates this Kate character is a lot of fun. It's funny that you're like, who is this person? Because I associate her with, I guess, when she's like nine years old or something. She was in the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit. Like, really great as this kid actor. And yeah, for her as a grown-up, I don't really know. Oh, yeah. Amazing in that. I didn't remember that was her. That's a great movie, and she's great in it. Yes, I'm going to agree with you. I just want to put it out there up front. Haley Steinfeld is the best thing about this show. But for all the medals she's winning for martial arts and all of that, this fight... She's not going to get even, like, a participation trophy from me on. Like, this (laughs) fight choreography. You guys are saying, oh, yay, the comedy's here, I'm enjoying it. And I'm going, man, this show feels kind of cheap. Like, when this tracksuit mafia blows in and we have this kung fu fighting with wine bottles. Yeah, I will say I'm not won over by this fight. I have questions about, like, is Haley Steinfeld and Jeremy Renner the same size? Like, multiple people put on this Ronin suit and it fits them all perfectly and they all have different builds. I thought it was a little baggy on her. I did think that it was draping a little bit, but probably not enough. And you're right. A lot of times in this series, not just this fight, but there are several times in this series where it occurred to me, I wonder what the budget is, because this doesn't feel like an MCU movie budget. They did not throw No Way Home money at this. And this was one of the fights where... They try to disguise it with quick cuts and strobe lights and things, but not a great fight. It's $25 million an episode, which winds up with a $150 million budget. I mean, that's not nothing, but yeah, it may not leave you a whole lot of money when you consider every episode's going to have a fight scene. It's not a whole lot to play with. And the fact that $150 million might be great for a two-hour movie, but we're dealing with about four hours here. Yeah, and I gotta figure they budget the episodes differently. Like, when we get to episode three with the big car chase, that probably had more than $25 million. Right, yeah, you're right. You throw some money more at certain episodes than others. There's talky episodes and action episodes, but they do try to spice up everyone here. They're short episodes. I just want to point out, when I heard this was six hours long, I thought, okay, I'm going to break this up two episodes a night to watch it, because I didn't want to sit there and watch six hours. But really, you could do a whole binge. It is a long movie. It is, and you could even splice it as such. I was paying attention because I was, when I watched these before, I watched them week to week, but now I did two nights of three, and it's like the last scene of episode two is the first scene of episode three. So it really does feel, of all of the Marvel TV series on Disney+, Plus, this one does feel the most like an elongated movie versus 
an episodic series. And the most like a Disney movie, particularly when she partners with the dog. Once she like gets through this action, like she's going to go and grab the watch and rescue a one-eyed dog that she had already had a stare-down contest with in Manhattan traffic. A girl and her dog, that is like boilerplate Disney movie. (laughs) But this is from the comic, right? Straight from the comic. Lucky the pizza dog. Like So that's why I think I'm having a very different reaction than you, Stuart. Mm. Normally, I think I would be like, this stupid piece of Disney crap putting a dog in there for the little kids. But I'm like, I know the source material. So I'm like, yes, we got Lucky the Pizza Dog. Like, will we get a whole scene from his perspective? Like that award-winning comic. Like, I'm down for this. (laughs) You're melting my mind. But it makes so much sense now that they put it in there. Because I'm like, I never understood that. I wrote that down. I'm like, there's no point to this damn dog. (laughs) And you're educating me that, like, to people that like the comic, this was essential. This was the award-winning part. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, it's a reason for her to go home and then go to Armand's house and find out that he's murdered. And that's really the thrust of the series for her, anyway. Who killed Armand? We all know it's Vera Farmiga, but it's going to take a long time for her to realize her mother is in with bad guys. But I'm still wondering, is Jack working with the mom? What is the relationship? Because we saw he was the one that was bidding on that sword and wanted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I think he bought it. Well, he stole it during the fight scene. <laughs> Yeah, nobody ever won the auction because the mafia busted in, but I find it funny that she goes to see Armand while still wearing the Ronin outfit, and this is kind of where the first episode is getting close to its end. We gotta go back and actually talk about the titular character, but (laughs) I thought this entire movie might be her on the run as the assumed murderer of Armand. Yeah, in that comic series, they spend quite a bit of time apart, like Clint stays in New York and Kate goes to California. So I was wondering, what will be the intersection for this? Will it be a buddy film? Will it be them going off doing different adventures? I guess originally the plan was to have Clint and his family on the farm and that this would be a reason for him to come to New York. He would see it on TV. Oh, there's my alter ego running around Manhattan. I need to go investigate this. But if they did it that way, they wouldn't be able to work in Steve Rogers, the musical. And that's certainly (laughs) how we're going to introduce Jeremy Renner and his disdain for his own celebrity here at the beginning. There's something not in this series. It was in the documentary, and I don't know if it was a line that was cut or if it was just their conception, but (laughs) they say that, like, This is the premiere of Steve Rogers, the musical. And all the Avengers, or the living ones, were invited to the premiere. And so Clint went, thinking he'd see some other Avengers. Clint was the only Avenger who actually showed up at the premiere. Well, Steve Rogers isn't around. Tony Stark's not around. Ant-Man, he's going to show up. I do love how they get things wrong and... Ant-Man was there for the Battle of New York. Yeah, these are the things that drive fans crazy. You know what? I thought they got it wrong by having Ant-Man there and even Hawkeye's like, he wasn't even there. Except it was pointed out to me, Ant-Man was there when they traveled back in time in Endgame to that moment. (laughs) This is the Endgame revision. (laughs) So somebody just happened to see Ant-Man at that time. And think Ant-Man was a big part of this battle that he wasn't even a superhero during. It's actually rather amusing in that regard. But the whole Steve Rogers the Musical is this on-the-nose reason why I don't like Broadway musicals. It is so bad. I'm like, close it down. You see the poster, I'm like, oh, they're going for the Hamilton thing. Maybe this will be, like, really good. Nope, it's bad. Like, one night only because it's getting shut down. 
their costumes, the way like they're all wearing t-shirts with an arc reactor on it or a pim particle and Hulk is just in a green hoodie with green face paint. <laughs> this I was laughing out loud during and it's the end credit scene and Marjorie and I were both so happy to get to see this entire musical number performed. They made a big thing out of this. It's a throwaway joke, but it is really funny and of course the line about Hawkeye is, and Hawkeye, he seems like a pretty nice guy as compared to everybody else who's kicking ass or really sexy. That's where it goes a little too far. It like takes me out of this world. Like I can totally believe there's a Broadway musical about the Battle of New York, but like, yeah, when they make kind of those jokes to punctuate what we already think of about Hawkeye, uh, yeah, he's the guy with the bow and arrow. That guy, to me, that kind of takes me out when I'm, well, I'm not having fun. I hate this music. Like, oh, I'm glad this isn't a thing we have to watch. You never know. I mean, again, this could be road testing someone's idea for Broadway's comeback, right? Marvel characters have been on Broadway before and probably will be again, is all that I'll say on that. And we were there and will be there. But the real point is that this is where we introduce the idea that Clint has hearing impairment. He turned off his hearing aid, and I don't think we've known that before. It's never been a situation before, and yeah, this is something they're bringing in. It makes sense. I mean, they're going to have a quick flashback when Kate asks, how did it happen? And he's been involved in so many explosions. Yeah, that would probably do it. Yeah, his hearing plays a big part in that comic series where, again, they have issues where it's just sign language. And if you don't know ASL, you don't know what's being said in that comic because that's how they're communicating. So a little known thing about the character, like he had his hearing damaged. But yeah, they're going to play it up here. They're going to call it out, I think, for the first time in the MCU. I had no idea that was in the comic. Yep. And not only is that happening, but I, yes, the musical is cheesy, and I think that we can see his whole family is appalled by it, but there's something else going on, too. Clint has to see a representation of Black Widow. We see this guilt kick in right here in this moment. It kind of puts a pall over the family togetherness, and then he tries to take him to Chinese dinner and get in the mood of the holidays, and they go home and turn on the news, and what's he looking at but Ronin. He can't get away from the darkness of what the blip cost him and losing Natasha. And I thought in these few scenes, they did a much better job of showing this post-traumatic stress than they try to do with the entire running time of Iron Man 3, where that was going to be a big thing. I'm like, oh, just done with that. But here, no, it's smaller moments. Yeah, that you zero in when he's looking at Natasha during that play. And I thought it was really effective. Agreed completely. Iron Man 3, that was one of the areas where they whiffed, and one of the few times I don't like Downey as Iron Man, and here, Renner is an amazing actor, and I didn't know him until this, but now that I've gone back and seen things like The Hurt Locker, and Wind River, and quite a few other things I've gotten a chance to see outside of Born 4 and whatnot, I think he's just doing a great job of portraying these emotions and not overplaying them. He's giving this series the only gravitas it has. For the most part, this is a lighthearted holiday riff. As you say, a yarmulke on thing. But when he has these traumatic dreams and moments, he sells the idea that there's real pain here. And we're not getting much Hawkeye for the first episode of Hawkeye. It's going to end. He doesn't have to work very hard to find Kate rip off the mask to find out who's under Ronan's costume, and he pulls his punch when it sees it's a young woman. 
Yeah, we're on to episode two, Hide and Seek. And it will be basically a hide and seek game for this Ronin suit. Every time they think they've got it, Molotov cocktails are going to fly through her window. They're going to have to leave. They save the dog at least, but they leave the suit. And it'll be a game about who has the suit next. I thought this was going to be more of the series because, yeah, the fact that a LARPer is just going to steal it. I'm like, oh, that's a fake suit. I thought this was going to be a lot more. But no, they're going to resolve this suit thing pretty quickly because it's more about what that suit represents than just the chase for it. We get a better action scene here in the beginning with the tracksuit mafia and a lot of Molotov cocktails. And it's pretty kick-ass when Hawkeye catches one of the Molotov cocktails and just throws it back down at the guys. Eh, okay. You can say that if you want. I feel like this was the episode that taught me don't be expecting big sticks, right? We've had Broadway musicals, tracksuit mafias, now we're going to get New York LARPers and a whole lot of Ren Fair jokes. <laughs> I'm having to adjust. And I can't say that this is the show I was hoping to get, but this is the one that will teach you whether Hawkeye is for you or not. Yeah, I guess because Hawkeye is just a normal dude, to have life or death for the universe stakes like every Marvel film has, I'm glad this is small. It should be. Again, also because I'm like, oh, this is a Christmas series because of when it came out. Like, I had no idea it was going to lean so much into Christmas. But yeah, I didn't expect that. And just because it's not big stakes doesn't mean you can't have, like, to me, that tells me you can have a more personal story and have it be more about character. Absolutely. I love just the little moment when... Hawkeye says, we need to go get supplies. And what's he getting? He's getting, like, Neosporin and butterfly band-aids and all of these things just to touch up their wounds that they have from the broken glass. It's these little moments, the kind of peak between the panels of the comics of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You are correct. This particular miniseries is about little moments. I don't know that I'm celebrating it the way that you guys are. I think, I'll just go ahead and put it out there. This show runs long. It's a little boring. This would be a much better two-hour movie. I think we've said that with every one of these series. <laughs> I mean it the most here. You know what? I'd agree with you if this is all there were. But what happens starting in episode three is going to try to deepen this to a point where I don't think... We could have all the characters we're going to be talking about and setting up Echo and bringing back Kingpin and doing all of this in a two-hour movie. Bringing back Yelena, it would be too much, too cramped in a two-hour movie. But yes, you could just cut all that stuff out, the universe building, and focus on a Hawkeye-Kate story and have that be a tight 100 minutes, 120 minutes. That seems to be the best stuff here, right? It's the baton passing from old generation to new that really matters. And again, Haley is clearly the best new actor here. Yeah, you do get that conversation here about generations. And I'm glad they don't play it up where Kate is like doing TikTok videos. But I look, I'm like, oh yeah, Jeremy Renner is, he's Gen X. Like he's called out being the cynic. I'm like, yeah, that's how we are. That's Gen X. And yeah, the younger kids, it's all about branding yourself and getting your Insta going and being an influencer. It's a very different generational outlook. Normally, I'm the first one of us to get up in arms when you try to replace heroes. It really, it was such a thing in the Marvel comics in the early teens and things where it's like every single 
white male character was replaced, either with a woman or a person of color. They just, like, everybody retired. <laughs> you know, Captain America and Hulk, and all at once this happened. Thor. And so, to say, okay, now we've got a new Hawkeye, but we're going to change the gender and things. I'd be the first one to be screaming SJW bullshit if it didn't feel natural. But here, this is really working for me to see Hawkeye Jr. Do I necessarily think that she'd be a perfect replacement to go hang out with Thor now? No, I think we still need Jeremy Renner for that, but... What about Jane Foster Thor? Well, Thor's gonna be Natalie Portman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So it's perfect. And we're getting Miss America Chavez. It's gonna be all girls soon. I do feel like the gender dynamic is swinging rapidly. And yes, in this case, this feels like the right move. Partly because you look at his own kids. No way any of those Clint children <laughs> could take over the role. They too ugly. They too bad. Ow! They can't act. No way. There was talk in the start of Endgame where Hawkeye is teaching his oldest daughter to use the bow and arrow. And everybody's like, oh, that's going to be female Hawkeye. I thought that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but no. They really did bring in Kate Bishop. They didn't just pick a younger Barton for it. And yeah, again, I'll just sing Haley Steinfeld's praises because she is in most scenes of this series and carries them. If you're going to have a good time, you know, it's the rote setup of the straight man and the comedian. And she's going to be telling all the jokes and Jeremy Renner is going to be the one not cracking a smile at them, which makes it all the funnier. She's not getting all the jokes. I'll give you a Broadway musical. I feel like that's an obvious target, but necessary. This LARPer stuff, I could have lived without. Which is not from the comic, so don't judge the comic for this, but it feels like it's appropriate. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Fraction had made some LARPing jokes in a comic. I didn't expect it to be as big of a part of the series as it ends up being. Just to set it up plot-wise, because the tracksuit mafia set Kate's apartment on fire... They weren't able to get to the Ronin suit, which was left there. And so a fireman who happens to also be a LARPer finds it. Who put a sticker on his fire truck for some reason. <laughs> He's proud of it. They're all into it. I mean, there's no sense of shame about it. When we see them in Central Park, they're not quitting till midnight. I know a handful of LARPers and the pictures of their LARPing adventures don't look like this. What I get from this is this is all first responder LARPer. This is police LARPer with fireman LARPer with ambulance LARPer. I would look out of place if I decided to show up to one of their events. <laughs> right, but I do feel like they're part of the Marvel fandom, that there is a whole group of working class adults, maybe with children or maybe not, that really can get into this universe. And so to make them a part of the heroes, to have them be cosplaying in the climax is fan service of some kind, but I could have lived without it. Is Grills somebody from the comics? I don't know Grills, but the fact that he had that nickname and then another one of them is called Bombshell. I don't know about Bombshell. Grills, he shows up in that Hawkeye run, very different. Like, he's not an athletic fireman. He's kind of looks like a big, fat, slobby trucker. And the whole joke with him is he calls Hawkeye, Hawkeye. And so there's a lot of back and forth between Hawkeye and Hawkeye and him trying to get the name right. But they took a very minor character and made him a LARPer now for some reason. But yeah, this is fun too, because Jeremy Renner, again, he won't crack a smile. They're forcing him to 
wear the armor. He just wants to go up there and get the suit. And the guy has a pretty reasonable request. I'll give you the suit, but this is, I'm meeting an Avenger. Let me beat you in combat. I don't know. I kind of side with Stuart on this. Yeah, I was always surprised when they came back. I didn't find this stuff that funny. Like the fact that a fireman would steal stuff from a scene where he's putting out a fire, like none of this made sense to me. Okay, you got a point there. Well, I mean, I don't look at this stealing if a place burned down. I mean, you just... Mm, you, I, I, sure, there's something in their handbook, like they don't take property off of a site. You're probably right. and But, you know, he does immediately go and post that he's wearing it. I don't think it's to have the person find it, but, you know, he's not opposed to giving it back. My point is, we're spending a lot of time passing around the Ronin suit for jokes about Broadway and jokes about LARPing. And the stakes are just low here. I mean, we're not going to get Kingpin until the last episode. And I feel like for someone that wanted more of an exciting adventure, again, the first two episodes are kind of, I don't know, I can see why people would just stop. I can see why this is low rated. You just, there's no real drive to hit play on episode three. The first episode had the lowest rating. So it's not that people started watching it and dropped off precipitously. They just didn't watch it. And I like this idea of the suit. Again, one of the things Marvel is good at is taking something small in the background, some character, something, and being able to tell a whole story about that. So the fact that, yeah, we got this shot of Hawkeye as Ronin in one of those Avenger films. I'm like, okay, they just wanted to throw that character in there. That's just a character they have that Hawkeye did. We'll throw that in there as a treat to the fans. The fact that they're able to take this suit and go, look, this Ronin character did a lot of bad things and people are going to come after whoever they think Ronin is. Not huge stakes, but they're personal, they're small, they're intense. Like the fact that Kate now is being followed by the tracksuit mafia that they're trying to get her because they believe she's Ronin. I like that they took this suit and actually made it a big deal. Like, they have a story to tell about it. Okay, well, we're getting to the end of the episode. Basically, they've tried to increase the murder mystery because Jack has one of the monogrammed butterscotches from the murder scene. Kate is now convinced that the man marrying her mother must be a killer and ironically is running to Clint (laughs) to out him as a killer, and they all end up in captivity at KB Toys. KB Toys, I had to have a chuckle at that, that, you know, that defunct toy store that I spent a lot of time in, that they tie Hawkeye up on one of those, I associate them with Kmart, those little machines that you used to ride for a quarter. I never rode those, but (laughs) I understand people did. Yeah, it's a, yeah, a coin-operated pony. And yeah, they're the captives of... Maya Lopez, or as I like to call her, Sofia Coppola's return. <laughs> oh my god, why on earth did they go with this? It must be because they just couldn't find, like, or couldn't use the actress that would actually be dramatically convincing. Well, I remember when this series was going, I guess Arnie had watched this episode, and he's like, are you familiar with Echo in the comics? Is it a Native American woman who is deaf and only has one leg, so they, like, only could hire this person? (laughs) Yeah, that's honestly the case, is Maya Lopez is a deaf Native American. I can't remember if she's also only got one leg or not. In the comics, she has two legs. (laughs) It was just this actress. (laughs) Okay. And they put out a casting call because nobody can play something they're not anymore. Isn't this a major argument against identity politics? Like, if this is the only person you can find, you hire the person that isn't this. Because she's that bad. 
She's not an actress, though, Stuart. Oh, I know. Here's the thing. (laughs) They put out a casting call for a deaf Native American, and I guess she's the only one they could find. I mean, they say that they had her do videotape auditions and things, but she's never acted before. And it shows. It really shows. That's what I mean about Sofia Coppola. Like this Francis Ford Coppola in a pinch just said, I'll use my daughter who's never been before the cameras and somehow we'll make this work. And this is the reason why you don't do that. Yeah. I mean, seriously, there's a thing called acting where you play somebody you're not. (laughs) So I think you just could have gone better by having somebody act deaf or... I know you don't want to change the race of the character from one of the smallest minorities, and you certainly don't want to do brownface. So your best option is to have a hearing actor learn ASL and maybe go method with it. But no, you don't do this. This is bad. And she's got her own series coming. That's crazy. That's so crazy that they think this is worth... I mean, because you can see all the other actors working around her. She'll have a translator slash love interest, and he is trying extra hard. They cut to him more than her to get all of the reactions of, like, what she's feeling about. But, okay, so we're at episode three, and now you're explaining why it's called Echoes. I had no idea. But she is a superhero or supervillain... Something called Echo. Yeah, she's the original Ronin in the comics. Like, she was the one that was Ronin. Comes from Daredevil, actually, which this is going to tie into Daredevil by the end. We're going to have Wilson Fisk showing up. I guess that Netflix series is part of the MCU now. A series I haven't watched. But again, hold on that because that's not coming till the last episode. We're (laughs) at episode three. We're getting her backstory about how in 2007, she was put into an integrated school where no one even knew she had a hearing impairment. And her dad did this because she, he wanted her to learn to jump between two worlds. And somehow she winds up being a mafia hit boss. That seems like she didn't end up to be what her dad wanted her to be. I feel like this is the other side of the coin for Kate Bishop. Like, here's this character who grew up in this underworld. And yeah, she's going to learn martial arts to revenge her father and all that. But it's going to be with the bad guys. Are we to like this character? Are we to look at this and go, because I would, I mean, normally on paper, I would say, yes, a hearing impaired girl who learns karate and now is running a mafia, even if they're in tracksuits, that sounds pretty badass. But the way it comes off, I do not find this character in any way attractive to follow. I think we're supposed to find her sympathetic because that's why we start off with her as a little girl. And Jacob, you're on the nose with it. It's, this is Kate without the money, without the advantages, and her father is a crime lord that works for Kingpin, and so she's kind of raised into that. When he takes her to a martial arts lesson, he says, your uncle's going to take you home. We see a close-up of a hand in a black suit, and I heard people go, oh my god, is that Kingpin? Is the uncle Kingpin? And I'm like, no, they're not gonna do that. They're not bringing that character back. No way. But You say we have to wait till the last episode, but Kingpin is here in that hand cameo. Oh, wow. A whole hand. (laughs) Yeah, they tease it. Yeah, to be fair, I heard Kingpin was going to show up in this series. That's one of the the things that was spoiled for me. But there was, before the episode had come out, people were wondering, is it going to be Vincent D'Onofrio? Or are they going to, like, I heard rumors they're going to put someone in a big suit. So it almost looked like that giant Kingpin from Spider-Verse. The one thing that gets me with Echo, though, is... Yes, this actress, 
does have an artificial leg. Is it fair if you're doing a MMA fight or something that somebody kicks you in the head with a steel beam? I mean, I think that's like using a weapon. I mean, not that having an amputation is normally an advantage, but if you've trained like hell to kick people in the head with a titanium bar, I think that's a little unfair. Yeah, I guess they might cite the gender as the equalizer there. <laughs> that, you know, she's this little girl and she takes down this big kid and then jump 10 years later and she's still taking down tough guys. Yeah, artificial leg or not, that's supposed to be surprising. I just, again, you're right. It would be cool if I liked her as much as Haley Steinfeld because that is, she's the inverse. In all the ways that Kate Bishop thinks Hawkeye is cool, this girl holds it against Hawkeye that her father is dead. We will see that Ronin, anyway, Jeremy Renner during his dark phase, came into some auto body shop and, for reasons, stabbed her dad and a bunch of other people. He was just killing all criminals at that point, very Punisher-like. And so he was told, hey, here's a criminal operation. And so he went in and just did what Ronan does and leaves nobody alive. And the father was the leader of that group. But don't we find out in the end that Kingpin asked him to do this? Yes. So if he's trying to kill criminals, why not kill Kingpin? He didn't know Kingpin was the one who tipped him off. Okay. But Kingpin told Kazi, and Kazi was the one who tipped him off. And then Kazi wasn't there that night because Kazi didn't want to be killed. And so the whole point was, get rid of Maya's father, who's becoming problematic, I guess, and Kazi can get a promotion in the ranks, and Ronin will do all the work for Kingpin. And anyway, we jump to the present day, where they're still captives on the horse buggy, and for reasons, she decides to take out his hearing aid and crush it, and I don't know. This was an opportunity to address the whole deaf issue, like you would think that that would bring them together, but she ultimately says you shouldn't be wearing hearing aids. What a strange stance. No, there is that camp where, like, cochlear implants and for deaf people trying to hear using technology is bad. Because why should you adapt to the rest of the world? Just embrace your identity as being deaf. Yeah, it's like this deaf pride thing where it's like, no, we're going to communicate through sign language because that's how we are. We're not any worse than people who could hear. Yeah, so you've got two different views. I mean, that's an interesting idea. I wish I had understood that more. It comes off as a very confusing scene from a non-actor with a professional actor that just quickly devolves into a big chase fight scene. I mean, to be fair, all she does is wave her hands doing sign language and, like, try to give looks at the camera. Like, it's interesting you find her that distracting. I'm just, I barely pay attention to her because she's not talking. People are translating her most of the time. No, she's got a whole love story. That poor Kazi guy that has to pretend like they're going to run away together and he can't risk it. The biggest problem with her is that her facial expression never changes. And I don't mean to be mean to this actress, but I just, it looked like my nephew when he was about six months old and taking a shit in his diaper. Just that scowl <laughs> look on his face of consternation of a baby taking a shit. <laughs> 
It's what non-professional actors do when they say, oh, I'm playing a bad guy. Like, I'm going to scowl. Rrr. I get it. I'm not an actor. I would be bad in this, too. I'm not... We can't all be Jack. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm Really, I'm attacking the decision to say that this is an actor that we want to promote for a future series. In this series alone, it's bad. But could you imagine her trying to carry a series? At some point, somebody's got to pull the plug on that. <laughs> yeah. I want to support people that have hearing impairments, physical impairments. Yes, they should get roles. But if she's not even an actor, why are we doing this for her? Why are we doing this to us? Yeah. <laughs> she didn't want to be here. We don't want her to be here. And her being here means that I'm still not getting the villain that I've been seeking to up the stakes. But that's what this entire series is going to be, is you get the bigger villain, and then the bigger villain, and then the bigger villain. And so she's middle management villain. And one of the praises that comic book got a lot was its use of ASL and addressing the deafness thing with Hawkeye and showing it from that perspective. So I do feel like this is that moment. Yeah, you can't use this hearing aid. And now we're going to have this great car chase and Hawkeye can't communicate with Hawkgirl. Like they don't really do what they did in the comic where it felt like, oh, this is great for deaf representation. But like, I feel like they're trying to do something, but it never really pays off by the end of the series. No, it's actually played sometimes more for a joke because they can't hear each other. Yeah. And I do want to say, though, this car chase has the single best cinematography or the most coolest, if not the best, of this series is it's like for a couple of minutes, one long take. I'm sure it's cut together and just. Oh, yeah. But the camera's doing 180s. It's inside the car with Clinton Kate. And she's crawling out of the car and back in the car. And it was really visceral and much better looking than any action we've seen so far in the series. Yeah, this was like that opening action scene in, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier where he's flying around. And like, this is where the money went for this great little car chase. We're going to get the trick arrows, lots of jokes about trick arrows. In the comic book, they have a chase like this. And it does end Kate saves the day by using a boomerang arrow, which they're going to make jokes about later on in this series. Like, why can't she have boomerang arrows? I love the use of pim particles. Like, she fires an arrow and he makes it into a giant arrow and it crushes a car. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to think of him having pim tech and stark tech at his hands. Just, you know, he kept that stuff around in case he ever needed it. And these are now his trick arrowheads. And this is really calling back to the old Hawkeye with the purple winged mask and the H on the head, too. Maybe not a specific boomerang arrow, but all these trick arrows. All the trick arrows. I don't think they've been played up in the MCU that much. What they said in the documentary is really what they'd done in the MCU is Ultimate Hawkeye, where he was just this black-clad secret agent. Yeah. And this was a chance to really kind of bring in a little of that 616 Hawkeye who has rubber goo arrows and arrows that have punching bags in them. and Gas arrows. <laughs> I'm surprised you're you're loving this scene as much as you are, because I feel like, Arnie, you're the one that would get mad at, like, oh, they're using Play-Doh arrows instead of real violence. I think Hawkeye does take out a few goons early on when they're still at the warehouse. Like, I might have actually killed them. But by and large, like, this is a way of making arrows feel safe. 
and all of the violence is going to feel very Disney. Yeah, you're right. It's going to feel Disney because we're going to see people shot, but there's no blood squirting out. And I surprise we're going to get a shit in this series. And some of the Russians, look, our family has this tradition to spend some time together. We like to watch car accident videos on YouTube. Wow. And oh boy, the best ones are from Russia. And so suka, which means bitch. Like I'm like, oh, they just said a swear <laughs> word in Russian in this. Like I was surprised with some of the like when Clint says shit later on. I was I was surprised they would do that in Disney Plus. I guarantee you some of these people in this car chase died when their van explodes and things. They're just not gonna focus on it. But Stuart, the big question here is one of tone. We're in episode three. They've set the tone pretty clearly of what I'm watching. This thing is being scored to Christmas carols. Yeah, Nutcracker. Any song that mentions Christmas. Depeche Mode got a song about Christmas Island, throw it in here. I'm surprised you love that. I always thought you liked Harder Edge Violence. I like Harder Edge Violence, but I don't only like Hard Edge Violence. And here, because of the performances I'm being given, and because I'm enjoying the overall vibe, it would be very weird all of a sudden to have Hawkeye start piercing people in the eyeball and puncturing their brain with titanium-tipped arrows. This is a silly, light-hearted series, and I'm okay with that. Okay, I guess that's weird. I guess I'm thinking specifically about horror movies and your disdain for the PG-13 horror movies, and this definitely feels like the action version of that. I mean, but that's what the MCU is. It's always been PG-13, except Deadpool. I mean, I feel like when I've seen this stuff in the movies, or even in some of the other series, it hasn't felt so playful. Definitely not in Falcon and Winter Soldier. That was more adult tone. This does remind me, though, of the Ant-Man films, which were also very comedic and lighthearted romps and didn't have super violence. You shrink your enemies. You wouldn't necessarily pummel your enemies till they were dead. I just think there's room for all kinds of stories in comics and in comic book movies. And for a Christmas time about a young girl Hawkeye, you're right, Stuart. This on paper does seem like the Disney, not even Disney Plus, just Disney TV series about a superhero. But I'm still rolling with it. I don't feel they're being untrue to who Clint is, especially if he's someone trying to recover from being a murderous person, I think the last thing he'd want to do is immediately jump in and start killing people. I guess that's my, I would take the other stance of that. Yes, you're telling me that this is a man racked with guilt for all of the murders. He drove a sword through a man, and now her, his, the daughter of that man is coming for him. They want to downplay that. They want to hide all of that from this audience. They don't want to deal with that much at all. And having all the Play-Doh arrows and all of that just feels like they're whitewashing the drama that I thought they told me they wanted to tell. It felt appropriate for what this is, watching this on a Disney subscription service. Like, I feel like Maya was always a threat in the background throughout this, and like, it was building up to something bigger. There was more and more assassins showing up throughout it. I don't know. I felt this was appropriate for a Christmas Disney superhero series. And it really has a climactic end where we see... Hawkeye basically recreate that jump he did off of Avengers Tower in Avengers, but now he's doing it with Kate, and Kate is to grab onto his bow, and they're gonna end up on top of a subway car. Right, they go back to her house, she's bringing him home, and the end stinger that leads us into episode four 
is that she uses her mom's, the Bishop security system, to look up on Jack and finds out that he is the CEO of Sloan Limited, which is a company that will find out launders money for the tracksuit mafia. So he has to be a bad guy. Although, <laughs> obviously, again, did any of you have any thought that he was actually the bad guy? The bad guy? No. A bad guy, yes. At this point, I'd kind of ruled him out, but earlier on, I thought he was. But the less we see of Vera Farmiga, the bigger a bad person I think she's going to be. <laughs> right. The stinger is that we have Jack holding the Ronin retractable sword up to the throat of Clint, and what's he going to do? And Eleanor blows in and basically tells this guy... My daughter's not a superhero, stay away from her, appeals to him as a father and as someone that got Natasha killed. And at this moment, I'm like, oh, okay, this is why they got a known actress to try to give this dramatic speech about, yeah, you're going to harm my daughter. She's not a superhero. So it did throw me off a little bit. I'm like, okay, because as a parent, if my daughters were like running around shooting arrows at tracksuit mafia guys putting their life in danger, I would be concerned too. I would not want them that. So I'm like, okay, maybe this is why they got this actress so she could have this adult moment with Clint. But for the first time, Clint does say they're partners. He's been shooting her down. Every time she tries to ingratiate herself to him. But here he has to admit, we've been working together. She's helping me. Right. And she's going to take sympathy later when she's with her mom and maybe her stepdad, soon to be. She realizes that some people are alone on Christmas and she needs to go and cheer up Clint with a big Christmas-themed, like, brainstorming session about what to do next. And we get a lot of Christmas here. I was really, like, wondering, what is going on with Clint's marital relationship? Because there is this whole countdown. Will he get home by Christmas? It's a real planes, trains, and automobile situation <laughs> here. But this wife is just like, oh, yeah, you're running around with a 22-year-old girl? Okay, like, whatever you got to do, you do. I trust you. I'm like, that is very understanding. <laughs> Not only that, but why couldn't she come to New York with the other? Like, why was she at home decorating? I don't know. <laughs> well, because, A, he said every single day, I'll be home tomorrow. No, but why wasn't she there originally? My belief, Linda Cardellini had something else to do. But they did drop a line that this was Clint's chance to bond with the kids. And did we know that she was some kind of agent or whatever she is? I guess in the MCU, unless maybe you watched that TV series, S.H.I.E.L.D., you knew. But this was a surprise that she's like doing background searches for Clint and they're speaking Russian or something. So the kids don't understand what they're saying. It wasn't on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., on Adrian's The Shield, it was played by Adrian Pilecki, and it was, you know, Bobby Morse, who it is in the comics. It wasn't Clint Barton's wife. No. In the MCU, we've never had any idea that Linda Cardellini is anything except a homemaker. But you gotta figure they met somehow, and you gotta think if you're an Avenger, you're not just gonna pick up somebody at a bar who's gonna be just average person and decide that's the one I'm going to marry. So that they were spies together, that she is Mockingbird. I mean, Hawkeye would totally do that. One of the things they did have to change from that comic is he's single in the comics. And it's kind of like that James Bond thing, like all his different love interests cross paths and get mad at him. And there's some humor here. Here, they, yeah, it is a big change because he has this married life now with kids you gotta admit this is another like drawn out episode where we get just so much of them making slushies and talking about christmas and decorating trees and 
flicking coins and all of this stuff. This stuff didn't need to be here. You're a real Scrooge, Stuart. I am. I'm not feeling the vibe. Yeah. Am I the only one who's loving the coin flipping stuff? I just thought that was so cool. And that Hawkeye, he's just such a marksman with anything. He can turn off the TV with it. He says he can knock people out with a quarter. And then there's just quite a bit of bonding going on here. I'm enjoying spending time with these two characters. I'll agree with you. The LARPers were a bit much, but this stuff I'm really enjoying. Yeah, maybe I'm just in the Christmas spirit watching this series, but that really changed my expectations with what the tone and mood should be. So I'm going with this. Yeah, it's somewhat formulaic. Like you got to have the partners that are the odd couple like Bond and it's fun doing it over this trick, I guess. I know that's going to come back later to be a thing and it's fun enough for me. Like I'm in the Christmas spirit and it's April when we're recording this. So I guess maybe it's doing something right. All right, and I'll just put it out there. I can't think of a Christmas movie I like. I don't like the genre. I don't want to be doing this. So for me, it's just kind of a chore to give so much floor space to Christmas. Someone really needs to save Christmas for you, Stuart. Maybe Kirk Cameron should be saving Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the ghost of podcast future needs to come and show you the way. Wow. (laughs) I agree. I could be convinced. I'm always wanting to be convinced. That I'm wrong and that there's a good representation out there. But to me, this is just slowing the pace down. And the only reason why these scenes work is because I like the actors. Because I do feel like Renner and Steinfeld do have good chemistry. And she makes it fun. Even though I wish they would get on with it. And it takes the whole episode for them to get the watch from the building. And did you guys know what was going on when she had to shoot those goop arrows over those flashing signs? I knew, oh, this is... Maya, because she can't hear an alarm. You got to have a visual one. Yeah, I installed a ring alarm system in my house, and it freaks me out initially that I'd walk into a room and there would be this flash like a camera flash. And I'm like, what the hell is that? It was the motion sensors going off. And so when those were flashing, I didn't realize it was specifically for a hearing impaired person, but I did know that those had to be motion sensors that were flashing. Is there any particular reason why they want this watch and only this watch? I mean, they blew into this auction saying, we got to get the watch. That was my question. That's why I'm like, is this an arc reactor? Like, what is this watch going to do that's so important? I still don't know. Here's the thing is this watch can lead you to Laura. And you see that Maya, they're in Maya's apartment. Maya has notes that says Clint Barton, wife, Laura, kids and their ages and things. Oh, yeah. Okay. But why does Maya, whose revenge is against Ronin, she doesn't know Hawkeye is Ronin. Yeah, Hawkeye gives a cover story that Black Widow killed Ronin because Black Widow's dead. She can't verify that. I assumed Maya was putting the pieces together and goes, no, you're Ronin. But why would they get this watch before Ronin had shown back up? That's what doesn't make sense. They say that Ronan hasn't been seen in a couple years, and this is taking place about a year and a half after Endgame when people came back to life. Why would she think this watch leads to Ronan, though? She wants the watch to catch Ronan, but how does she know Ronan is attached to that watch? How does she know Ronan is attached to Laura? Because, again, maybe this is something on the actress, but next episode when Clint unmasks himself in front of her... She's shocked. She's like, oh my god, Ronin is Hawkeye? So why is she investigating Hawkeye? She was shocked? (laughs) I could tell what she was. (laughs) Again, that acting. How could you know that she was shocked? 
I took it as a shocked reaction. I don't know. Anyway, the good news is it may be Echo's apartment, but the fight is really with Yelena. This is where we finally bring back the stinger of Black Widow, and we find out that Natasha's little sister is also in the mix and has been scoping out what the two Hawkeyes are doing and is ready to make her move here on the rooftop. And this was another appearance that was just spoiled just from chit-chat on the internet. Like, as soon as we hear Clint say, I'm fighting Maya on the roof here, and Kate's like, no, I'm fighting Maya, and we see this character, I'm like, oh, okay, that's going to be White Widow, whatever her name was, Yelena. That's going to be Natasha's sister, and then we're going to see those bracelets do their thing, and definitely it's her. It wasn't even being spoiled. This was told to us at the end of Black Widow the movie when we had Valentina... I don't remember that thing. Like, again, all I remembered, White Widow. Like, oh, her name's Yelena? Okay. <laughs> okay, well, at the end of Black Widow, to remind you, we had Julia Louis-Dreyfus show up and give Yelena a mission to go after Hawkeye. And I thought that it was a personal vengeance mission. I didn't realize this actually, without Julia Louis-Dreyfus ever showing up, deepens Valentina's role in everything if Valentina is who you contact to put out a hit on somebody. We wondered who is Valentina setting up U.S. agents and setting up Black Widow 2, and if the whole thing is that she's in charge of a group of assassins and just takes money for hits, that seems like a lot smaller scale than I thought she was going for. Yeah, I forgot she was involved. I, I just figured... Yelena wants revenge because of Natasha. Like, I remembered that much, and they're going to recap it, too, for us. Yeah, that's as we move into episode five and Ronan. We've seen, basically, Clint, whether he's thinking about her well-being or disappointed, I think he's just worried that things have escalated. A Black Widow means I shouldn't have a kid in the firing lines. I should send Kate on her way. You're not my partner. I'm going to face this alone. Episode five. I think it's because... Yelena throws her off a roof, right? She goes over the edge, just like Natasha went over the edge. And that's when Clint freaks out. Is right. He, like, dives after her, reaching after, and then sees her hanging there. Yelena didn't throw her to her death, just had a rope on her, got her out of the way. And that is the moment where Clint's like, go home. He cuts the wire. She falls down into some Christmas lights. He's done because that was a flashback to Natasha's death. He's got too much PTSD. He's got PTSD about Natasha being dropped, and he's got PTSD about being the ninja. It's vague. I think that was just a very dark time in his life. Ronan and then losing Natasha. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is where we get a little bit of Yelena's backstory, or what happened in between the Black Widow movie and now. 2018, we see her and another Widow break into some chateau somewhere in a forested wintry area and try to gas the woman out of mind control only to realize, oh, she's just a, is this girl power? I'm just an assassin for myself? No, this was the end. I did remember this part. Like, they had that red dust that would get rid of that brainwashing of all the other Black Widows. So I guess this is a continuation of that mission of de-brainwashing them. No, but the joke is she's not brainwashed. That she's like, no, I'm just, I have money because I kill people on my own. Like... Girl power, I'm, I'm not doing this because Harvey Weinstein told me to. I'm doing it because I want to be a badass. I'm a lady boss. That's kind of how I took it. But man, I absolutely love the scene. You know, we're still exploring what it means 
for the blip and the snaps and everything. And this is the first time we get to see the blip from the point of view of someone who was dusted. And she's just there at the sink, and she turns to Ash, but just as instantly turns back to human, then everything starts to change around her. That was a really cool visualization of what it was like for those. And it made me start having strange thoughts, because she was in the bathroom, like, what if you were taking a shit when you got snapped out, and then somebody (laughs) else bought your house, and now you're taking a shit when you're brought back? You know, it's just like really strange thoughts since she was in the bathroom. (laughs) Well, what's funny was because I think of Lucky the Pizza Dog and just the humor and tone of this, like my wife ended up watching this all with me, which surprised me because she's done with the MCU unless it's Thor or Guardians. Like she doesn't want to see it, but she's like, no, I'm into this one. And so then she starts asking me all these questions. She's like, okay, so what happened with Thanos and what happened with those people? And then we got this scene, like, it was just happenstance, like, this scene shows up, I'm like, there you go, that explains the point of view of the person who got dusted. For them, it was just fractions of a second they were gone. And the point is, she comes back, and this woman that was an assassin is now married with kids and living an entirely different way, and more poignantly, she wants to go tell her sister that she's back, and it has, you know, it's left to inference. We all know the bad news she's going to get. Your sister's not alive anymore. This is the reason why she's now trying to kill Clint Barton on rooftops. And she was hired to do it, though. Yeah, she'd be doing this anyway because she was hired. I thought that muddied it a little bit. I I would have been fine if it was just personal revenge. I don't know why we need to make Eleanor Bishop a part of that hit. It's bad enough that she's working for the Kingpin. We don't need her also trying to assassinate Hawkeye. Does that really make sense? But Hawkeye is starting to uncover her thing because... Kate found out about that money laundering company and things, and now I do believe Eleanor was going to marry Jack, but now she has to give Jack up so that he will take the fall. It's just getting too messy for her, and so she has to try to stop the superhero from interfering in her criminal business. She is a murderer. We'll find out she did, I believe, personally kill Armand. Yeah, that's how they made it sound. I'd love to see that scene. But I do love how happy-go-lucky Jack is, like, getting arrested. Hey, I've been framed, but I'll be out in a little bit. We'll get it all taken care of, guys. Like, Jack is a fun character. And Yelena is going to do her Yelena best to try and make a smile. Ooh, talk about mac and cheese. Lots of mac and cheese jokes. Yeah, we get a big, long scene of her entertaining Kate when she... I don't know why she is coming home. Her place burned down, but Yelena is waiting there with a pot of macaroni and a lot of Yakov Smirnoff jokes. I laughed at one or two of them. Like, there's so many she's thrown out there. One of them will get you. They did mention, because she was going to be done superheroing at this point, and so her mother told her, go get your things. So she went back to her apartment just to grab her things. She was going to move back in with mom. This is, you know, the nadir of her story. But it's like a charred shell of a place. You know what I mean? Like, there are no things to get, and you're super rich. You can buy clock towers. So, like, just buy new things. It's a little weak. But Yelena in that Black Widow movie was always humor in a movie that didn't feel very funny. Well, the jokes weren't funny. David Harbour was trying to do lots of humor, too. Yeah. Here, I think she works perfectly. I'm laughing at her jokes. I just, you know, I find her endearing the way she keeps calling her Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop. 
would you like some macaroni and cheese, Kate Bishop? She's like, I know how boxed macaroni and cheese tastes. It's delicious. Yelena drops a line here that I didn't catch the first time around. She's asking what to see in New York, and Yelena says she wants to see the new and improved Statue of Liberty. That rolled off me when I saw this the first time because it was before No Way Home. Now I realize it's the one we saw in No Way Home where they're adding, like, the Captain America shield to the Statue of Liberty. But this is all based on a premise that we called out as bullshit in Black Widow. She should know that Clint is not responsible for her sister's death. The fact that she has this rage is unearned. I could see her having rage for her foster sister's death. And it seems like they've never met, which was a little shocking to me. But I rolled with this. It's just a little too much, though, isn't it? She was like the one ingredient where you're like, now you're caring a little bit too much for this whole story. Does she fit in the story that was being told? Or is she shoehorned into the story? I kind of feel like she overcomplicates things. And then when we're going to add in the kingpin, now you've just got way too much going on and somebody needed to streamline this a little. Yeah, it, it, are you to worry about Echo or Kingpin or Yelena or the tracksuit mafia? There's a lot of stuff that gets thrown in by the end of this. Which could be fun. I mean, again, in a caper, having nine different problems that you're juggling could be fun. It's not that there's too much going on. It's just none of this is as sharp as I want it to be. Yeah, that's what I'd say is it's on the writers. Endgame had many more characters than this, and it felt like it did them justice. Here, it just feels like we're focusing so much on two characters that the more side characters we're squeezing in here, the tighter it all feels. Yeah, Clint is telling his wife, he's calling her and saying, I'm going to put an end to this. And then he doesn't kill Maya. He does go to, we're now getting the name, Fat Man Used Cars. I would think comic book fans know at this point who Uncle is, right? You guys knew? No. Okay. But keep in mind, I was willfully denying it i'm like they're not gonna bring in the netflix <laughs> stuff you fanboys shut up they're not ever gonna do that but they already had done this at spider-man by this point as of this episode spider-man had not come out okay and i knew who it was just because it was spoiled that vincent d'onofrio was returning like i heard rumors that it was going to be different kingpin and then i heard nope it's just him and charlie cox shows up as daredevil and spider-man so and i heard those series are leaving netflix i didn't know netflix original series could leave netflix but i heard they're going to disney well yeah they're on disney plus now they were made by marvel studios you know they were just paid for oh. by netflix you know they were aired by netflix but netflix didn't make the shows they're there now, but, you know, this is the domino effect that it causes. Is Iron Fist canon now? Yeah, or Punisher. There's another Punisher we got to review. And Well, no, these are series, but I'm not asking what we have to review. I'm asking, is the worst thing in the MCU now Danny Rand Iron Fist? Well, we did see Morbius <laughs> a few weeks ago. Not MCU. I said MCU. Okay. Yeah, no, because that is what, like, I love Iron Fist. I watched one episode and said, nope, and then I never went on to Defenders or Jessica Jones Season 2. Like, I just stopped at that point. Yeah, it seems to me that people really like Daredevil. I never watched the show. I'm never going to watch the show. But it seems they liked it for what? For Vincent D'Onofrio, specifically? D'Onofrio was the best part by far, but it was a good show all around. Yeah, no, he's really good, and I think 
Charlie Cox does really good. Like, they stage some really good fight scenes. There's a famous one where they do the old boy thing of him fighting through a hallway. And so I think people appreciated the level of the fighting on that. Like, it felt, I think maybe it was R-rated. Like, it's much bloodier than anything in this series. They never say the F word, but it's got R-rated violence. Here's the thing. We spend all this whole episode teasing, teasing, teasing to get to the last shot of Vincent D'Onofrio standing next to Vera Farmiga in a blurry cell phone video. That means something if you watch that show. To someone that hasn't, I'm like... Yeah, what did it mean to you, Stuart? It meant that I just sat through another episode of basically nothing, of macaroni jokes. And I'm just like, what is ever going to happen in the series? And I saw that shot on the phone, and I'm texting my friends, and I'm like, I don't think that's D'Onofrio. I think there's a new kingpin, because you can't tell. It's just so blurry. And finally, I was the first one to actually sit through the credits and see Vincent D'Onofrio was credited in episode five. And I'm like, I'm wrong. I was the one screaming from the rooftops. They'd never bring him back. They brought him back. My mind is blown. This is as mind-blowing as when I thought Quicksilver from the X-Men universe was showing up in WandaVision. And what did that mean? Well, it turned out to mean nothing. But, oh my god, maybe he's going to show back up in Multiverse next week. Oh, wow. I mean, is this really exciting? I guess why I want to get to that. Like, your guys are, like, flipping out about, like, ooh, this Netflix series, and will this be crossover? Does it matter? Is it that good that you're that excited that Vincent D'Onofrio is going to do five minutes in a Hawaiian shirt? Vincent D'Onofrio is that good in that series that I'm excited to see if, like, we're going to have a kingpin in the MCU. Yeah, keep it D'Onofrio, because he is that good in that series. I'd, I'd, I'd actually say, like, the scariest he comes off of, watch the scenes when the Punisher and him are sharing a cell in the Punisher series. Like, very scary stuff. Like, very threatening. But in this series, now, when we get to episode six, I don't know, he feels more like Daddy Warbucks to me. I don't know why he has a Hawaiian shirt in this series. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the level of menace that I guess people are telling me is so great in that Netflix show in this episode. He's not done the best here. He doesn't have the time to do what he did in that show. I will say, welcome to comic book crossovers. Like, you read your favorite issue of Hawkeye, but you don't get the full story about Kingpin. You got to go over to the Daredevil series to get the full story about him. Like, that's how they sell extra issues. And that is where Disney Marvel is at this point. Like, hey, you guys got to watch these TV shows, too, if you want to understand the movies. Like, it's that big, like you said, Arnie. But this last episode is going to be a big climactic battle. You say 25 million an episode, I say 10 million an episode, and then they put like 50 here. <laughs> yeah, nothing happened in the last episode. That was the talky one. So they could put, yeah, more resources to the big gala that they just made up like two days ago. I think she, <laughs> just to distract the daughter, she's like, let's have a party. Now I'm finding out this is Christmas Eve and people are showing up. Are you kidding me? I don't know. It's rich people. I don't know how they live. They probably go to fancy parties on Christmas Eve. You get an invite 48 hours before? Uh. <laughs> anyway, the point is that she and Clint are now partners again. He has had a change of heart. She's ready to condemn her mother, and he's ready to bring her in, and the LARPers too, and make some trick arrows while they're at it for, yeah, turning this party into some kind of blowout. And the LARPers are going to make them costumes. We're finally going to get some costumes. Yeah, they've been teasing that for several episodes. And again, I'm imagining the winged face plate that the comic books have. That she drew a picture of on a pizza box earlier. <laughs> it's pretty much going to be Under Armour in a sophisticated purple shade. 
it's not really anything outrageous. <laughs> yeah, which surprised me because I thought, oh, they're going to go real big with that that goofy classic Hawkeye outfit. No, they go to the one from that Matt Fraction, David Aja series. Like, yeah, it's a T-shirt with a purple arrow on it. It's spandex. Renner had to ask his team, is this okay? Am I embarrassing myself being in my 50s <laughs> and going out there and wearing the spandex? <laughs> Have I missed the spandex stage of life? And they're all like, no, you look cool. Go do it. And we finally get the scene that I've been waiting for since the beginning. Like, there's got to be that scene where Kate reveals why Hawkeye is important to her. And we're going to finally get that here in this final episode that you saved my life. And it's Disney cheesy, but okay, they had to do that. I mean, I thought it was there. I didn't think it needed to be underlined. They went so long without saying it. I was surprised when it actually came up in this last episode. Yeah, I mean, it was the opening scene of the show, so we get it. He's your father figure. He's been the reason why you worked so hard to be so good at all these sports. And he does give her the compliment of, you weren't wrong when you were saying you were one of the best archers in the world. You are one of the best archers in the world. I mean, that's a big moment for her. Okay. I'm not getting the feels, but again, I'm not liking Christmas movies, so (laughs) maybe I'm just ruled out of this. This last episode, though, does feel as focused on Kingpin as on Hawkeyes. I mean, we open with Kingpin and Vera Farmiga, Eleanor, saying she's quitting. And he's like, you don't quit here. I'm. This is not Saks Fifth Avenue. I watched The Sopranos. You never get out. And then Echo comes in and says she needs vacation from work and... Instantly, he knows what that means. She found out he was behind the murder of her father. Yeah, again, they're always cutting to the other actors to explain how how they're interpreting her. Like, she's turned on us. I mean, I guess. This is, maybe. I don't buy this part of it. Yeah, the Maya, this is the part that, even if I thought it was a well-performed, nuanced role here, the idea that, like, her boyfriend is not going to want to leave Kingpin and she's going to have to kill him in the end, like, all of this... Land's really false. Let's just focus on what works, and that is that Clint and Kazi, the sniper, have to go at it. At the same time, Yelena and Kate are going to be battling in an elevator. Oh, that is so much fun. Kate and Yelena, I love that stuff. I do love when Kate, like, dares to get into that elevator with Yelena, and that's when you know it's on, and they... They start that fight, but Yelena is a highly trained assassin. Like, the fight should not go on this long. She should be killed very quickly. Yeah, it's goofy. She has no reason to kill Kate. She likes Kate. She's trying to disable Kate and keep Kate out of it. She could kill Kate in a heartbeat if that's what she wanted to do. But Yelena is supposed to be our new Black Widow. We're supposed to like her, so she's just not going to kill indiscriminately. Yeah, I didn't understand why she leaked that video to Kate. I guess she's just such girl pals with her now after that mac and cheese. She wants to let her know about her mom. It's because Kate told her, if somebody hired you to kill Clint, Clint's a good person. You really should look at who hired you. And so she traced that back, and that's why she gave the information to Kate. And yet she's still not giving up that Clint is the reason why my sister is dead. Correct. Which is, again, just a phony premise that... No one needs, but we all know it's going to resolve with her realizing how wrong she is. Yeah, that's going to get dragged out a little bit too long. But yeah, I mean, we could cut the stuff with Kazi, we could cut the stuff with Echo, and have a really satisfying climax here. I don't believe Kate and Yelena are on equal footing for fighting, but it's a fun fight. I love when Kate takes off the 
coat she's wearing and has the outfit underneath. Yelena's like, did you plan that? I do like that about Kate Bishop, that she's a fangirl of Hawkeye. And like, she's just so excited to wear that suit, wearing it under her evening gown that she wears to this party. And the fight's going to spill away from the Rockefeller Center into the actual ice rink. Like, Clint, for a while, will be stuck in the tree, and then she'll knock it down. And all of a sudden, there's a whole lot more tracksuit mafia than I thought there were. Let me say, with the tree and Rockefeller Center, you want to get me in the Christmas spirit. I've been to New York at Christmas time, and I've only done it once. I need to do it again. There's no better place for Christmas in the world than Manhattan. And seeing the Rockefeller Center tree in person and the Rockettes musical show, even if I did think I was seeing Reginald Vell Johnson in Scrooge and I ended up at the Rockettes Christmas show, <laughs> but that's a different story. New York Christmas, glorious. And so that we're having this final battle in Rockefeller Center is heartwarming to me that they're doing this on the ice rink. And I thought you know what? They're probably just on green screen. No, I in the behind the scenes, they're really at Rockefeller Center filming this. I've got to ask, what's with the owl? I'm like, is this some comic book reference? Why is there this interaction with the owl in the tree with Clint? I think it's just Chekhov's owl who's going to fly away with some <laughs> tiny tracksuit mafia guys later on. It actually happened, though. I remember that was a story when they cut down the tree this year. They didn't know, but it came with owls, and then they had a whole deal with getting them out. Okay. It is kind of horrible to think about the tracksuit mafia guys that did get shrunk down with pin particles. The owl flew away with them. They're like in for a painful death. Oh, they got eaten. <laughs> but yeah, this is a big battle. Again, I don't know why the LARPers are there and they got to change in their outfits now and people will listen to them when they're in costumes because I guess this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and that's who you listen to, whoever's dressed ridiculously. Admittedly, they did kind of look like Thor's pals from that first one, Volstag and all of them. Yeah, I'm like, is this supposed to be the Warriors 3 or something here? But these are EMTs, so I thought it was paying respect to the frontline workers. That's how I took it. And yes, they were LARPer frontline workers, but I just thought that having them there, they're trained. They just were in waiters' outfits undercover, so nobody was taking them seriously. They put on their costumes, it worked, and that's why I did wonder if Grills and Bombshell were going to show up later and be somebody. They'll probably get their own series, but hopefully no one will watch it. Well, I hope the Swordsman gets his own series. Jack shows up here swinging that sword, taking out Traxu Mafia, like, in a series that really leans into comedy. He is the ultimate comedy relief in this series. But you guys talk about Vincent D'Onofrio, and I don't know, I refuse to be impressed by this KB Toys fight scene. Like, this is not amazing. It's not FAO Schwartz? I thought it was FAO Schwartz. It is FAO Schwartz. Okay. Yeah, this is where, like, give him more money for a movie-level fight. It seems like Haley Steinfeld is, like, just bouncing off of Vincent D'Onofrio on wires and a lot of this, and I get they're really trying to play up his bulk. He's going to take explosions and still be able to get up, like, really take a punishment like he does in the comic and keep going, but, yeah, it feels like he's a rubber doll at times, and she's just, like, being thrown at it and bouncing off. More, he's underpowered compared to how we saw him in the Netflix series, you know? Okay, that was what I was wondering. It's like, he has better fight scenes than this, right, in that show? Yeah. Oh my god, yes. He would just 
pick her up and snap her neck. The only reason I can buy this is, again, he doesn't want to kill her. I think it's because she's so young. He keeps throwing her out of the way and saying, stay down, stay out of my way. And it's pure luck that she gets him down just by using that coin flip trick and firing off every single one of Hawkeye's arrows at once. And that's enough to make Kingpin pass out for a few minutes. Yeah, he'll even take an arrow later on and just, like, pull it out, like, does not affect him. But do bullets stop him? Maya did that, too, in an earlier scene on the rooftop. It made me think that she was really his daughter, but we saw her father, so I don't know. Yeah, she got shot in the shoulder. That's nothing in a movie. Okay. I even thought she got shot in the clothes just to be pinned to the wall, because Hawkeye does that. He just, like, ties you up by pinning you to walls instead of actually puncturing you. Again, with her unique uh, take on emotions, who could say what was going on there? But she does get the kill shot. They pan away from it, but she's the one that gets to take out Kingpin. Yeah, she doesn't take him out. Nobody's showing. The camera pans up. They wouldn't take Kingpin out like this. That is to be resolved in Echo coming 2023, I guess. Maybe later this year. Who knows? But the big fight is finally Yelena gets past Kate and has her fight against Clint, and he ends it by doing that whistle from Black Widow. That took me back. I'll be honest, I haven't watched Black Widow since we reviewed it, so the whistle, I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing they did. Yeah, I remembered it when I heard it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's how he's gonna calm her down. He knows the whistle, too. Apparently, that was secret. This was always gonna end badly. Like, this is just a bad moment in the show, in Marvel. Like, it's just bad. Like, that she believed it this much to get to this place and now because of a whistle has to start crying and saying i'm jealous you spent so much time with her like oof terrible scene you're going hard on maya and elena the line that cracked me up was from kate's mom when she's like is this what heroes do arrest their mothers on christmas (laughs) eve i'm like yeah that's what they would do if the mother's evil (laughs) i made an audible ugh when ria formiga gave that line yes (laughs) yet it's something my mother would say to me Well, because you'd be throwing her in jail (laughs) on Christmas. I had my own little moment here, you know, because after this, we get to the happy ending. It's Christmas Day. Clint made it back to Iowa on Christmas Day to be with the kids, and he takes Kate with him. And did he just steal the toys from the storefront? It's like, he has gifts all of a sudden. (laughs) I didn't see him shopping. So he just literally looted F.A.O. Schwartz and then like, here, kids. He better be bringing to that wife something nice because he's also bringing home a 22-year-old girl. <laughs> no, I know the Chinese people were like, dinner's on us. But like, I don't think F.A.O. Schwartz is like, take anything you want. You save New York. Apparently the firefighters do there. So why not? Yeah, apparently everyone does now. But you know what? I know what Clint wanted for Christmas, though. A new grill. Because that's the only reason why he would want to melt some pleather on his grill and ruin that thing. I'm like, get a metal barrel. You live on a farm. Don't tell me you don't have a burn barrel out there. No, he's going to throw some lighter fluid on a grill and that grill is never cooking a steak again. (laughs) That's all I could think of when they're burning the Ronin suit. And this is where we get the names of stuff. The dog's going to be called Lucky. Not Sir Dog of Pizza. I don't get it, because Pizza Dog's already a thing in the X-Men universe. But they took that from this comic. This comic was out when that X-Men film came out, so... Ah, okay. Wiping that one away, too. (laughs) But she's going to be, what, Lady Hawk, Lady Eve, Hawkshot, Arrow. We all know that she's going to be Hawkeye, right? 
Yeah, of course. But again, I laughed at Lady Hawk. That is a film, for some reason, I saw like seven times in the theaters when it came out. I don't remember anything about it. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. But I saw that film a lot as a kid for some reason. Maybe we'll cover it someday. (laughs) So, Jacob Stewart, are you going to be a Grinch or are you going to recommend Hawkeye? Jacob. Yeah, I guess I'm in the Christmas spirit. You know, it's Christmas in April for me. I was not expecting that. And Stuart, I get your feeling towards Christmas films. Like, I'm never going to sit through all 3,000 Hallmark Christmas films because I don't need that kind of sentimentality in my life. But you know what? I got into the mood of this one. Like, there's a line towards the last episode, like, the importance of Hawkeye is that anyone could be a hero. Like, it's a cheesy line, but this is a Disney Christmas series. And so, like, I totally get into that. Like, we could all be heroes to quote David Bowie, and we're going to have that moment with the LARPers. Like, this miniseries is all over the place. Like, a lot of characters. How relevant are they? What about all these subplots? Like, why are they going after this watch initially? I'm not sure, but maybe it's because I have a soft spot for the source material, and I love the idea of the tracksuit mafia just broing it up. (laughs) And that humor, I I felt like, tonally, like, this one worked for me. It's lighthearted. It's not a heavy entry into the Marvel Universe. There's definitely some problems, but this one also I felt like going episode to episode, and like you called out, Arnie, it's like wherever the scene ends, like that, it's just going to pick up from there. So watching this over two days, it did feel like just watching a long movie, and I was just following these characters along, and not a whole lot of jumping back and forth. There's a few flashback scenes, but I had fun during this one. This is my favorite of the Disney Plus series that we have reviewed thus far. Again, not heavy as far as threats, but I like that it's a smaller personal story. I've always said, I like Iron Fist in the comics. I like the C-list heroes. Those are my favorites. So like, oh, there's going to be a Hawkeye series? Yeah, I'm going to read that. Forget Iron Man. Forget Spider-Man. I want to read more about Hawkeye. So that also falls into my wheelhouse. But I I think this is a fun series about one of the lesser known Avengers, the one that doesn't get all the glory shots in the films. You know, they'll give him one pose and that's about it. But he shoots a bow and arrow. It's kind of silly when you're fighting aliens and that. But I like what they did with him here. I thought they gave him some gravitas and... Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Kate Bishop in the MCU. I I think Hailey Steinfeld is going to have a lot of fun in that role. So, yeah, recommend for Hawkeye. Stuart. I'm going to be a Grinch. I mean, I'll just go ahead and say that Marvel has made a tacky Christmas sweater out of its properties. And some people love that. Some people smile and put on those sweaters and say, this is hilarious. I'm not one of those people. I'm not wearing it. I feel like this is easily the least engaging of the Disney Plus series, by far. Like, the stakes are way low. The humor runs long. Again, it took me about four days to get through this series. Like, as I just, I couldn't find the energy. The baton passing of all of it just felt perfunctory. I didn't hate it, but it just tested my patience. Why would anyone watch this other than the Yuletide spirit thing and some in-jokes? I really feel like if this were your first one, there would be nothing to compel anyone at all to watch this. This is only for fans and those that want to get into the spirit. What Disney Plus has been good at, and what this show is not, is it's usually been good at making me care about those secondary, third-tier characters. I didn't learn anything about Clint or Hawkeye that wasn't already implied in the series. I don't feel like they developed him one iota, and the Yelena thing was always going to be lame. I will not even bring up Maya, but not an asset to any of this thing. The only thing that truly worked for me is Kate Bishop. Haley Steinfeld, she's going to fill the bill more. I mean, she's going to be better, frankly, than Jeremy Renner. I think she's going to be a real asset in whatever show or movie she will later appear in. 
Yelena should be worried, honestly. She's a better Yelena than Yelena here. She steals more of the spotlight. She knows about PR. She's working the camera. And she will be more fun than Hawkeye ever has been. But it's not enough to give it a recommend. I'm going to say that for the most part, this was just very meh. But I was bored, and I can't recommend that. Bored is not a word I would use ever during this series. I know there were the talky episodes as well as the action episodes, but the talky episodes had enough character, enough spark. It's hard for me to be bored when something is working when being lighthearted. I find myself bored when things are dour or things are attempting to be light and failing, but this is a complete success at a light-hearted holiday romp, and the two main stars are so damn good in this. Both Renner and Steinfeld, I can't get enough of both of them on screen, you know? They're like the Marvel's Laurel and Hardy kind of duo with the straight man and the comedic one. And yeah, the cast of characters around them. Now, I can't deny what Stewart has said about Echo. I will echo your thoughts in that (laughs) this was really a bad choice of an actress for a character who's supposed to be a new branch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe tree. I really think if you cut Echo out of this entirely, you'd have a more streamlined story. You could bring Kingpin in earlier. Maybe they couldn't bring Kingpin in earlier because they wanted to time it to come out at the same time as Spider-Man No Way Home when we saw Matt Murdock. But other than Echo, to me, this was just a completely eminently watchable... It's a TV show, so I can't say popcorn fair, but maybe string popcorn up on the tree fair (laughs) of television. And I agree with you, Jacob. When I think of the Marvel TV shows on Disney+, Plus, I've liked them, but each one has been problematic. WandaVision really stumbled to get going, and then it faltered on its end. Falcon and Winter Soldier was very uneven, and it may not be their fault, COVID and whatnot, but by the time that was done, it wasn't really that coherent of a story. And Loki was the best so far, but... It just seemed somewhat dour and running in place. I don't know what they have planned for Loki Season 2, but I feel like they could have fit it all in Loki Season 1 and had a tighter show. So, no, this is my favorite of the Disney Plus Marvel stuff as well. I'm not even counting What If, because whatever. Yeah, what if I I never watch it? Because that's what I plan on doing. Yeah. But no, this is a really solid recommend for... The best Disney Plus has to offer, it saddens me that this is the least watched when it's the best. And again, help me out with this. Do you guys like Christmas sweaters? Like, you're enjoying it that it's this tacky, yuletide thing. There is something about Christmas. I think of my childhood sitting by the tree, listening to Christmas music on vinyl records. So anything that takes me back to that spot I like about Christmas, I'm not a It's a Wonderful Life fan. It's like too sentimental for me, but there are things that like, Take me to a primal spot that I enjoy. And no, I would not call this TV series tacky. I would just argue against that right there. But yes, every year on Christmas Eve, I do find a new Star Wars or Marvel Christmas sweater and surprise my wife with it. And we wear really crappy looking sweaters and drink hot cocoa. I mean, you get what I'm saying. I mean, will you agree with me at least? Like if you took away the Christmas from this, And the, like, in-jokes, it is for fans only. Like, if you just wanted 
an adventure. This ain't it. My wife really enjoyed this one, and she was asking lots of questions going through it because she's not up on the MCU like me. Like, she swore that Ronin suit had to have some kind of magic powers because it's a superhero thing. I'm like, no, sometimes suits are just regular clothes in, in the Marvel Universe. But I think she had fun with the humor and with the action, and I think those are the two greatest assets for this series. And, and that's what she got into, even though she was just as confused with Vincent D'Onofrio as you were, Stuart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not the greatest action, but it's good enough action with the tone of the series. But yeah, you could remove Christmas, you could make this the 4th of July, and I'd still enjoy the series as much. Yeah, it was just a surprise how heavy you relied on Christmas, and I thought that was kind of fun not knowing that aspect of it. But are we doing Moon Knight? Because that's another series I'm excited for. Like, I know it's going on, and I haven't watched it because I just assume we're probably going to do it. It is a miniseries. Yeah, we are going to vet it just to make sure they don't surprise us with season two. (laughs) No season two at the end. (laughs) Right. But uh, the chances are very high that by the time we cover Thor 4 this summer, we'll work it into the schedule then. But we've got to cover Doctor Strange 2 next. That movie's premiering this weekend. I am hearing nothing but revelatory things about it. A totally new way to tell a story cinematically. Okay, I'm I'm already calling bullshit. <laughs> mm. Does that mean it's good? You know, they didn't use that word. They just said revolutionary and mind-blowing. Okay. Well, that could be good. I'm looking forward to them changing up the formula. Doctor Strange loved it as a cheesy 70s horror TV pilot that didn't fly, but didn't really like Benedict Cumberbatch's take on the character or that first movie. And yeah, I need it to be something different this time. Yeah, it it depends if it's a Sam Raimi film or if it's a Marvel film directed by Sam Raimi. Two very different things. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit of both. We will talk about it next week, though. But there's a reason Scott Derrickson left and Sam Raimi came in. But I'm excited because I didn't love Doctor Strange. I liked it, the movie. But... I've really liked what Cumberbatch has done with the character in a supporting role in a number of films now, so maybe he's gotten that character down and will have less flying magic Disney capes, and it looks like a little bit more horror coming up in this one. That could be why you get Raimi. Could be. We'll have to see. I've never totally closed mine. I'm just not excited. I'll just put it that way. This is not one of the ones I've been looking forward to, but I'm hoping for mind-bending and... Explosive. And if I don't get it in Doctor Strange this Friday, at least we have our patron choice for May donors, Scarlett Johansson. Yelena wanted to see her in this series. Well, we've got her, all of her, really. Yeah, you'll see her in Under the Skin. (laughs) Under the Skin. Yeah, a weird sci-fi movie that was patron-picked, and we're covering for May patrons this Friday. Yes, please don't sell that movie for the nudity a la Basic Instinct. There is nudity. That's not why you should watch it. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's an A24 film. Very much so. (laughs) It's one I'm excited to talk about. So that'll be for our patrons of $10 or more through Podbean or through Patreon this Friday. If you haven't signed up, I still say it's the best value in podcasting where for $10 a month, you're getting almost 70 bonus podcasts right away and another one added every single month and this summer gonna add some couple times a month so just our way of saying thank you to all of you guys who are supporting us 
And also, just a reminder before we go, we are still running our contest, giving away five digital copies of Uncharted, the Tom Holland, Marky Mark movie we reviewed earlier this year. Well, our friends at Sony have given us five digital copies to give away. To enter, you just need to subscribe to our In Focus newsletter or be a member of our Facebook listeners group. And if you do both, you're entered twice to win. And we're announcing the winners May 5th. So may the 5th be with you with Uncharted. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And we'll be back next week when at least a few of the Avengers Assemble! Goodbye. Okay. Merry, Merry Christmas. Alright. Okay? Cool. Call you later. Yeah, please don't. I got your number. Thank you for listening to this episode in the now playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're going to knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that, right? Now Playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. 
That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Now playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you are. just did it again. You're the car, This man. is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You really think just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. <laughs> Next with so Young Avengers movie. This was a comic book. <laughs> There is a lag. I don't know where it's happening, but mouths aren't moving with voices, at least when it comes to Arnie. Me again? I have not had an issue with him. Okay. Well, watch his mouth, because I, okay. think, I think I think it doesn't always match. <laughs> watch his mouth. Watch, you better watch your mouth, boy. <laughs> a deaf woman, also known in the comics as Echo, played by Alqua Cox, played by Alaqua Cox, played by a lot of Cox. Mm-hmm. Awful cocks. <laughs> okay. I'm not getting the feels, but again, I'm not liking Christmas movies, so maybe I'm just ruled out of this. So you hate all Shane Black work? Again, I don't buy the premise Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but no, I don't hate Die Hard. It's not a Christmas movie. Well, I said Shane Black. Die Hard is... Uh, Didn't he write... Sh Shane Black would be Lethal Weapon and The Nice Guys and... No, you know I don't like Lethal Weapon. I didn't like one of those films. <laughs> I know, but I'm just listing Shane Black stuff. Why are you on about Shane Black? I don't like Shane Black. <laughs> because everything takes place at Christmas with Shane Black. Yeah, I don't like him. No. Wow. Why is that shocking to you? I didn't like Lethal Weapon. I didn't like Last Boy Scout. They're crap movies. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Yeah, that was good. Nice guys? Yeah, I liked it. Okay, okay, then we're okay. I'm like, I, I thought you were saying those were bad. I'm like... But I'm not going to, like, create an altar to him. I mean, like, all right, he had some <laughs> hits, he had some misses. Yeah, definitely, that Predator film, you know, but... I'm not saying he's a god, I'm just saying that I'm trying to wrap my mind around hating all Christmas movies. Which ones do you love? Scrooged, It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas Vacation... A Christmas Story. All of them are me. You are a Scrooge. Yeah, I mean... I even love, like, Albert Finney's musical version of Scrooge. Like, love that. One of my favorite Christmas films. I love A Muppet Christmas Carol, and I'm not even being sarcastic. <laughs> wow. That's really a deep cut. Michael Caine is just great in that. Okay. Just don't care about the holiday. I never have. <laughs> Directed 
by Rise Thomas and Burton Birdie. <laughs> I thought they were in Sesame Street. <laughs> That's really showing range here. This Disney thing has gotten too out, far out of hand. What's next? Kermit's going to do the next Civil War movie? Well, Beaker's in charge of Loki season two, so. Hmm. The one thing that got me is little girl Maya is talking to her dad and she goes, are dragons real? And all I'm thinking is, yeah, we saw him in Shang-Chi, right? <laughs> yeah, but no one else has. <laughs> uh.